It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Tom Singer. Tom is a keynote speaker, host of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast, and author of many, many books, including the ABC series and his Some Assembly Required series about networking. Uh, Tom Singer, welcome to Accelerate. Andy, thanks for having me. So take a minute, fill out that introduction, that bare bones introduction I gave you. May tell us how you got your start doing what you're doing. Sure. Uh, So I am a professional master of ceremonies and motivational keynote speaker, and I've been doing that full time for about seven and a half years. And it's something I was a sales guy and I was in marketing for a long time. And you know, you know how it is. You've been in sales. You go to a lot of conferences and they would always bring in, you know, sort of that speaker who would kick things off. And I, I always thought, wow, that would be like the coolest job. But I never really realized that if you weren't famous or you didn't have like a New York Times bestseller, that, that you could do that. And I worked for a law firm as their marketing director for a while. And the managing partner asked me to create a class for the lawyers on on how to get engaged, how to network, how to sell. And I did. And I thought, oh, they're going to hate this. And it was a 90-minute class. And at the end, one of the partners who I didn't know raised his hand and said, this is the best training I've ever been to in all my years as an attorney. Uh, We need to send you to all the offices in the firm. And I started traveling, teaching this class for lawyers on how to network and how to sell and do business development. And then the lawyers started giving me to their clients who would have like a team meeting or or Mm -hmm. a customer meeting. And I thought it was fun. And and I was in Washington, D.C. at this tech company. And the the CEO said to me, why do you do this? And I kind of thought he was saying, like, you weren't that good or why did we have you? (laughs) So I was backpedaling a little, saying, well, you know, your lawyer, you know, I work for your lawyer, and he thought I would be good. And he goes, no, you totally misunderstand what I'm asking. He said, why don't you do this full time? Because you're better than the guy we paid for. And I thought, hmm. And so that's how it sort of all started. It took a few years to be able to make that transition, and I got involved with the National Speakers Association and right. got myself around people who were doing this for a living. And that's, that's sort of how it started. And like I said, I've been doing it almost eight years. So the first book was what? Was that Some Assembly Required? Some Assembly Required, How to Make, Grow, and Keep Your Business Relationships. And I read that, uh, gosh, probably back That's in probably two, 2010, years, I think. Yeah, that 12 years ago, probably even. Yeah, so, so what was the fundamentals that you talk about in terms of how you network? And, and then the follow-up question would be, how's it changed? So, you know, the background is, is I wrote that book like 14 years ago, and the most interesting, or the first edition, we've re-released it because things have changed. But the, the interesting thing was, was that I was laid off several times because I've lived and worked in Austin, Texas for 25 years. And the economy here, while, you know, everybody thinks Austin's a boom town, we're kind of had a history of sort of boom and bust over the last three decades. And so I was laid off because of companies that either went out of business or pulled out of Texas. And every time I got laid off, like, which, you know, was four or five times, I always landed within three weeks and I barely made an outbound call. And people said to me, how is that possible? The, the joke amongst my friends was I was the only person they knew who got laid off up 
<laughs> and it was because I, I was involved in the community and I, you know, had helped other people along the way. And so when I was in need, people created jobs for me or they made introductions for me or they really, you know, pushed one of their vendors, hey, you got to hire this guy, you know, before somebody else does. And it was all because I was involved in the community. So some assembly required, the, the idea behind it is, is that if you want to have a network, it's not going to happen, happen by accident. You have to put the pieces together. And so that's what some assembly required is all about is that there's a lot of little pieces to networking. It's not going out and drinking cheap wine and handing out business card. There's, you know, dozens and dozens of small things that you have to do, but if you do them, you know, religiously for 5 and 10 years, all of a sudden opportunities are going to come your way. But if you don't do them for 5 or 10 years, then when you're in need, you're going to be like, how come everybody else gets helped and I don't? So that was the premise behind what I was saying when I originally wrote it. This social media stuff was barely here, if at all. And so the biggest change, to answer your question, is how much we now rely on a like, a link, a share, and a follow as sort of a, a shortcut or a hopeful replacement to the hard work that's involved to build long, long-term long ongoing relationships. And I'm still out there teaching that a like, a link, a share, and a follow is not a replacement for a real face-to-face -face friendship. It can supplement it. But... So in some way, things have changed, but in some ways, we still have to get back to basics. All right. So let's talk about just, obviously, you said there are dozens of small things you have to do, but let's talk about some of the small things, and but also reiterate the point you made before, and this is, I think, something that's, that's hard for people in sales profession to sort of think about is because, you know, sort of on 30, 90-day annual schedules is you're talking about making an investment over a period of years in your network. Well, yes. And so the thing you have to remember is, is that your network is yours. And if you're going to be in a career that's going to span one, two, three, four, sometimes five decades, you need to start now to put those pieces into place. Because even if you don't make your quota this time and you get fired, you still need to go out and do stuff in your community, whether that's a, a geographical community or healthcare, you know, a vertical type community. So you have to constantly be connecting those dots and figuring out how are you building this. So while at, on the one hand, and I'm an old sales guy, you've got to be focused on meeting the numbers and making the sales. You also have to be thinking long-term, how do I build these long-term and mutually beneficial relationships? Because people know that when they're looking for a job, I, I talked to a lady years ago and she got laid off from Dell. And there was a number of layoffs, and she had been out of work for close to a year, and her four counterparts who she'd been laid off with all had jobs. And they all, I said, how did they get their jobs? Every one of them had gotten them through somebody they knew at church, through a social club, through a business organization. And she said, I was working too hard to care about people. And I was like, well, how'd that, you know, to quote Dr. Phil, how'd that work out for you? Mm -hmm. So. You know, you have to be doing both. You got to be chasing your quota and meeting your numbers, but you also have to be thinking about what's best for me and the people I'm connected to long term. And that is really, you know, being there and building those long term and key is mutually beneficial relationships. But so the, it's those dozen little things. You, you got to show up. You got to belong to something. I talk to people all the time in, in my business as a professional speaker who are like, oh, I don't go to the National Speakers Association because there's other speakers there. I just want to go where there's people I can sell to. That just sounds yucky. I mean, you have to you have to go not just to sell. Everyone you meet doesn't have a pork chop around their neck and you're a wolf who hasn't eaten in a month. You have to be thinking about this is a give and take stuff. And so you got to get involved with groups. And sometimes I'm a big believer that your industry groups are the smartest things you can join. Yeah, you're not going to sell to those people, 
but you're going to learn from them either directly or indirectly by just watching them. So, uh, you know, I think one of the key things is you got to show up, you got to volunteer, you got to help other people. You know, you have to, you have to write, you have to speak, you have to put your name out there and any one of those things won't do it for you. But you do dozens of them over a lifetime. All of a sudden people are like, oh, everybody knows Andy. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the key thing for, for it's hard for sales reps to sort of think about this, especially if they're in a job where they're selling to people in different geographic areas. When you say networking, they tend to think about it in terms of selling something, as you said, rather than their next job, for instance, which is going to come from somebody local to them, not somebody remote, perhaps. Well, well, perhaps, but the other thing is, I think the word networking has been bastardized and stolen by like the negative Nellies of the world, and you know they have all different meanings of what it means. But if you go back and look in the dictionary, you're going to find something that says basically what I said before, and that is networking is the creation of long-term, mutually beneficial relationships between two or more people, where everybody involved in those relationships will find more success over a lifetime than they would without them. So if that's the definition, then you're networking with your clients, you're networking with the vendors who sell to your company, you're networking with your next door neighbor who might be a doctor, a lawyer, or a baker. You know, everybody is somebody who you take an interest in and you just figure out, can I connect the dots and help these people? And and sometimes, most often, the answer is no. You still be nice to them because you never know who's going to be that person who their sister-in-law is the one looking to hire a great salesperson and they tell them. Right. And the other part of that, at least from my perspective, is that you know, I write about this in my books, is selling is a service. Selling is about helping people. It's not about selling something. It's about helping people make a decision. So <laughs> you have that orientation in your work and in your life, then that's going to serve you really well. Well, and selling is, you know, people talk about, oh, I, I talk to sales uh, managers all the time who are like, maybe they'll bring me in to speak to their sales team and they go, oh, I don't like my salespeople to network. You know, it's all about closing. And it's like, well, Sales and networking are not these separate things that live out in, in separate worlds. If you're going to really sell, it's all about relationships. And so, you know, part of networking is, is that, you know, relationships, the, the first impressions that you make and everything else. So you are networking when you're selling. And if you're doing it right, you know, it is an honorable thing to be a salesperson. I, I make the joke that sales is the oldest profession. I, somebody else said this once and I laughed. And so I use it. I don't remember where I heard it, but like 25 years ago, sales is the oldest profession. And, and people go, well, wait a minute. I thought prostitution was the oldest profession. And the joke, the punchline is, well, she had to sell it first. Mm-hmm. And so selling every time throughout history that there has been business, there has to be sales. And the smartest, best companies honor, respect, cherish, and well compensate their salespeople. Yeah. And there, I mean, there are companies that don't do that, obviously. Um, yeah, and, and, and they don't do it, and their best salespeople leave. Leave, right. I talk to sales managers all the time. Like the one who said, oh, I don't want my people to network because if they're well-connected, someone will hire them away. Well, <laughs> so you don't want really good people who are at the top of their game because someone could take them. So you want a team of mediocre. And the guy was like, well, yeah, because I can keep mediocre longer. And, and I was like, really? Yeah. That's, it. That's, uh, that's where I want to work. Yeah, that's like Forrest Gump. Simple is as simple does, right? <laughs> so let's talk about, you had published a, a, an article about 10 rules of sales success. And, and I liked it because, you know, they're very simple. And, and again, I've written about this. I talked about them in the show. Is, and I always revert back to a story my first boss in sales. Uh, the lesson he taught me actually was saying that, you know, sales is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. And you've, I think, done a great job of sort of 
reducing sort of to 10, 10 steps, the simplicity of what, what selling is about. So, so I just want to go through those and, and sure. talk on, so people got a sense of, you know, if you had to have a list on your desk of what you're doing as a salesperson, this would be a good list to start. So one is, yeah, get the prospective client to know that you even exist. Yeah. I mean, if you're not doing outbound marketing and prospecting, then they can't buy. What, what I teach when I go in to talk to somebody is your whole goal is to get on someone's short list, really, because if they're going to only talk to two or three vendors in your industry when they're looking to buy your product or your service, if you're not one of those two or three, you have a zero chance of selling to them. So the first thing you have to do is make the short list. And you can't make the short list if they don't even know you exist. So the first step to all of this is when they think of your product or service, they don't have to think of you first, but they dang well had better think of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> when you have solopreneurs and small entrepreneurs, small entities just starting business, this is this is so critical. Right. I mean, and it's the part that so many entrepreneurs hate and solopreneurs oh, yeah. hate is the business development part. But yeah, you have to you have to be out there and being out the there, guy. being being yeah. out there doesn't necessarily mean exclusively you know, going to networking events or cold calling or doing cold outreach. You know, part of it could be content that you create and share. There's you know, building yeah. your brand and your expertise within your area. If you're the best kept secret in your industry, you're going to go out of business. Yeah, you could be the best. Yeah. But yeah, you go out of business. So what are some of the recommendations then you give people about this idea about personal branding This becomes, or branding, let's see, in general, small, small entity becomes so crucial. And, but yeah, it's so easy. The tool's never been more accessible to start to do this. I mean, you see more companies starting podcasts, for instance. I mean, that's, that's a relatively simple, inexpensive way to start creating some you know, content yeah. around what you're passionate about and conveying that passion to people prospectively. There are uh, lots of there are lots of ways to do it and there's no one way. So, you know, I mean, if I had started my podcast is two years old. If I had started it four years ago, I'd probably have ten times the listeners. I've done I've now done two hundred episodes and I have a good following, but so many people started podcasts in the last two years that it's hard to get noticed. That being said, for me it's been a great tool because I make my living as with the spoken word. So the podcast for me is perfect, mm-hmm. but you don't even have to start your own podcast. Get on other people's podcasts, right? I'm on your podcast right now and there's someone listening who may or may not say, oh, I want to find out more about this Tom Singer guy. It just takes one to go and say, you know, my company has a user's conference. Let's see what he does. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden they recommend me and I get it. And stranger things have happened. So Put yourself out there as, a, as an expert guest for people who have other shows. Uh, write blogs. Write guest blogs for other people. Get interviewed by the press. Uh, I think you know being a speaker at an industry conference, especially if people who buy your product or service are going to be there, it's one of the greatest ways. There, there are consultants and, and other professionals who go and speak for free as a breakout speaker every chance they can because someone in the audience always hires them. When you're the speaker, you're automatically seen, or the writer, you're automatically seen as the expert. And therefore, you know, I think one of the things you have to do is, is work on that. So if you're, if you're in sales, the best piece of advice I ever got, I was 25, was join a Toastmasters club. Now, I had no idea at that point I would become a professional speaker. But I joined a Toastmasters club, and all through my career, I was able to advance. And one of the reasons was people thought I was smarter than I probably was because I was always able to clearly and concisely share my opinions, whether it was in a sales meeting, whether it was in a company meeting, or whether somebody asked me to speak at a local association, you know, that was related to my job. Sure, I could do that. 
Yeah, and that's oh, and that's another tip for people in terms of making sure they exist is speak for free. You know, go to your local, not just Toastmasters, but you know, Rotary and other local organizations, business organizations, chamber, and so on, and get on their get on their list to speak. But before you start going to your chambers and your Rotary clubs and your Lions clubs, make sure that you have something to say and that you've learned how to do it. Because if you are a bad speaker, you can do the exact opposite. Sure. You can ruin your reputation. People think this guy's kind of a loser. Well, right. And that Toastmasters is, is my first sales job. This was what the boss said. Everybody will join Toastmasters. Yeah. And it's the hardest thing I ever did. Yeah. And Toastmasters, you know, people think, well, that sounds a little old fashioned, but you get a group of people small group together they're all there for the same purpose they have a range of abilities you're not going to stand out one way or another and they are non-judgmental oh, so and if, it, you, if you want a safe skills. place to go and practice it and learn and learn some really incredible skills yeah you can't can't do better than toastmasters yeah. well, you bring up an interesting thing you say oh some people think oh that's old-fashioned well you know toastmasters started at i'm guessing on the year i think it was 1924 something like that. And at the time, there was a big problem in business that people were scared to get up and speak. Well, guess what? That is still a problem in business. So yeah. old-fashioned or not, it's a, it's a problem. If, if, if you would be nervous, if you're listening to this, and I right now said, you go to your next meeting, and there's going to be 100 people from the company there, and your boss says, you need to get up and talk to the board and all of your peers about the project we're working on. If that made you just like throw up a little in your mouth, you need to get to a Toastmasters club because that could happen to you, and you want to be able to say, I can do that. Yeah. Well, I had a, a CEO guest, a CEO of a startup company, and this, invariably, CEOs of startups are going to have to talk to investor groups and so on, relatively early stage. And yeah, he, he had a hard time on the show of, of really expressing himself clearly. And once we finished, I recommended to him, you know, join Toastmasters. And he has, and you know, he wrote back to me not that long ago saying, it's fantastic. Wish I'd done this a long time ago. Oh, I've coached a bunch of CEOs who have to do roadshows on just basic presentation skills, and it saves them from, you know, stumbling. Yeah. All right. So next on your list is get the prospect, go to a website, and watch a video. Yeah. You know, it used to be that as a salesperson, I controlled everything. If I could get the appointment, I controlled everything because they didn't know about me. They didn't know about my company. I started off in sales in you know, the 90s, and I would show up with a little cardboard folder, and it would have little one-sheets with you know, the, the benefits of our, of our service. And well, I, I used to have the flip chart portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And you controlled when you flipped to the next feature or benefit. Now, before anybody lets you in, they're going to go look you up. So you got to make sure that there's information on your website that gives them the basics. And we live in a world where people want to see a video of what you're doing. It, you know, it's got to be short. It's got to be something that's understandable. But in my world as a speaker, if I don't have a short three-minute video that you know a meeting planner can watch, I'm never going to get the call. They, they need to see something. It doesn't have to be you know, super highly produced. But it has to be something where they're like, hmm, I want to talk more to that person. And that works for every industry is once they know you exist, you got to get them to do a little bit of research. Because if they don't do the research, they, they're just proven to you they don't care. Nowadays, everything's a click away. So you want to push them to you know, do some homework on you. Well, in addition, the medium is important because you, know, you talk about video, things like this podcast, people hearing you. The difference between a prospective uh, client listening to you on the show versus reading a text description of what you do, night and day difference, mm -hmm. right? So the video is the same thing. It, you know, there's an intimacy about it uh, that just doesn't exist when people just go to the website and read something about you. So that's, that's very critical for making that connection, establishing that initial, that initial bond. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the next thing to talk about is establishing connection and relationships. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that just goes, that is the next step, right? I mean, people do business from people they know, they like, and they trust. And that's a little bit of a cliche, but cliches are all based in truth. Well, people yeah, that's, that's a valuable equation that's as true as it's ever been. But the world has changed. We all now think we know everybody because, oh, I listen to Andy's podcast. I know him. I follow him on Twitter. Hey, we're buddies. We're Facebook friends. Everybody thinks they know everybody. So getting to know somebody used to be a process, and that like and trust came along. Now we all think we know everybody, but do we like them? Do we trust them? So when you can get to real like and real trust, you have something magical in the world of sales because it is rare, more rare than it used to be. Well, and then that really gets to the basics of when you have that initial connection with somebody, what do you do? And the mistake that we still see, and I, I was reading a blog post about this yesterday, it's about you know, leading with a pitch, perfecting your pitch. It's like, don't perfect your pitch. Ask something about them. <laughs> That's right. They, you know, they've done surveys on blind dates where they like put a couple out in a restaurant and they, they put a camera in the flowers and they float a microphone in the beer and they record the whole thing. And then afterwards they ask them, what'd you think? The person who talks the most always says, I love them. I hope we get married and have three kids. The person who talks the least says, I'm not so sure. So what you want to do is ask a lot of questions so that you can learn about the other person and what their needs are, because that will draw them closer to you. The more they talk, the more they're going to like you. Well, and there was a study that was done by a company called Altify in the business-to-business sales space that was published this year, uh, a little bit earlier this year. And yeah, they came to the same conclusion when they surveyed uh, executives on buying side and sales reps about the same transaction, is that the sales reps always estimated higher the value they thought they delivered than what the executives thought they got. <laughs> and so this mismatch is just the one you, you described. So how do you avoid that? Make it about them. You're there for them. Yep. Start, ask, start with a question. And let them know that you care. I mean, the more, you know, it's that old saying that, you know, I can't care until I know you care. Well, and then part of that too is part of that knowing that <laughs> let them know you care is you have to listen. One problem we have with sales what, these days say? is you have, huh? yeah, that's right. Is we have this these scripted questions, and everybody a script is valuable, but you have to know when to follow the script word for word, and when to be there for the the customer. And oftentimes, you know, the best second question that's really powerful to form that connection isn't the one that's on the script. You know, it's something that's in reaction to what they said, mm-hmm. and you have to be. You're never going to hear that unless you're present mindful listening to what they're saying and turn, no. off, and turn off your phone for goodness sakes oh right. well that's a, we could do a whole podcast on the whole issue around the, the phones and how people pull them out in the middle of conversations I mean that's I've never asked anybody when I speak I have a little module about how people use phones and I do a little demonstration of somebody who's on the phone while they're in a conversation and I ask the audience what did you think somebody always screams out disconnected or rude one of those words comes out really loud really fast mm-hmm. And then I ask the audience, yeah, you're right. And I do this whole bit about how it's rude or it's disconnected, whatever comes up. And then I say, what do you call it when you do it? And everybody kind of goes like, because we all do it. We all, you know, we're expecting that call from that client or whatever. We're talking to somebody. We glance at our phone. When we do it, we call it multitasking or being efficient. <laughs> when other people do it to us, we call it rude. I love it. That's a great question. I'm going to steal that, by the way, and put that in a presentation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll attribute it to Tom Singer. Oh, though. okay. Yeah, that's that, that Tom Singer. <laughs> I'll send the royalty check to you as well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next one is understand outcomes they desire from their investment in your product or service. So this gets back to, again to asking great questions. 
Yeah, because at the end of the day, every client's going to be different. You can't just come in and sell from a script, right? You have to you have to go in and figure out what is what is it that they need. And in a lot of cases, depending on what you sell, the buyer wants to look good with the decision that they make. Well, you have to know what look good means. Is it saving money? Is it saving time? Is it being more efficient? Is it, you know, raising their their visibility? Whatever it is that you offer to sell, what is it they need? If you know what's their hot button is, it's much easier to sell to that. But if, you, if you're just guessing or treating everybody the same, you're going to have a harder time. Yeah, and one way to really dig down and get to that is, is what I call the world's best second question, is when someone responds to your first question, hopefully it's an insightful question, you're getting some great information back, is then pause for a second, ask them, well, that's interesting. So tell me more about that. No, that's, I mean, that's world's, exactly world's best second question. Tell me more. And open ended questions. I mean, they've been teaching that for decades. Open ended right. questions are always going to be better than a yes or a no question. So tell me more about that is great because they have to elaborate. Yeah, and that's what you want. You want that elaboration. Uh, there's a, a gentleman wrote a book uh, called The Coaching Habit, Michael Bungay Stanier. Great book. He was on the show. And his version of that question is what he calls the awe question. It's an acronym for and what else? And what else? Yeah, it's a great, great way to phrase that second question. Next, talk about demonstrating unique value that you bring. And this, this is really critical. Yeah, because we live in a world where everybody wants to make everything a commodity, right? So, I mean, I, I make my living as a, as a speaker. But the reality is, if they hire me to speak or they hire you to speak, and we both could go speak about sales, they're going to have an entirely different experience. Now, in the case of you and I, it's going to be fabulous no matter who they were to pick. However, it's going to be different. And therefore, it's one of those things that if I come off looking like everybody else, then they're just going to hire based on price Price. or or who's closer so they don't have to put them up in a hotel room or whatever. The reality is, is that you have to figure out how it is that you're unique. And so this woman who is a branding expert, her name is Sam Horn, about 15 years ago taught me that if you name it, you own it. And so you want to take what you do and sort of give it a little twist. So as a professional master of ceremonies, and even as a keynote speaker, I'm known as the conference catalyst. Because what I do is I get people excited about this world of getting back to the basics of how we connect. Then I turn it around and I talk about what can we do at this conference it's going to make it the best event you go to all year. And so that's my little twist that I've done. And other people have now come along over the last decade and stolen it. There's one person who's like, you know, the conference connector or whatever. It's like, okay, that's great. But I am the conference catalyst. And, you know, that's just the way it is. Gosh and darn it. It gets, it gets people <laughs> thinking, you know, oh, he's not just a networking speaker. I hate it when somebody says, oh, you're the networking guy. No, no, no. I'm not the sales guy. I'm not the networking guy. No, no. I'm the conference catalyst, and let's talk about what that means and why what I do is unique compared to other speakers you could hire. If they get that, they tend to hire me. If they don't get that, they, they hire a commodity. Exactly. So one question or one value-based insight that you can provide, and this is uh, a great thing I'd heard from uh, Brent Adamson, who was one of the authors of The Challenger Sale and Challenger Customer, saying that what – can you tell the customer about their business that they don't know but should? And if you can do that, think about that from a value delivery perspective. That's incredible, right? If you want to set yourself apart, no longer be a commodity, what can you tell them about their business that they don't know but should? No, and it shows that you did your homework. And shows so- you did your homework, shows you understand their business. Yep. Great question. Okay, so we'll go through one more here, then we'll take a short break. 
So uh, overcome concerns and objections. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, after you make a proposal, there's going to be some things that they're like, hmm, this doesn't really work, or I really need to have you here the day before, or, you know, can you get that delivery date by a certain time? And if you don't get them to, to tell you sort of what are their concerns or objections, then you don't know how to sell around them. And so many times as salespeople, we leave people out there with the proposal and we just think they're happy as clams and there's something about it that they really wanted. And so you have to go back and ask, is there anything here? Is there anything in what I'm proposing that doesn't fit with your needs? Because if the answer is like, no, this is great, then that's fine. If the answer is, yeah, I really expected X, Y, and Z from you in order to make this happen, well, maybe that's something you can do. Maybe it's not. Maybe you have to change the numbers. But if you don't know what's on their mind, then they're going into a closed-door session without you and making a decision, and they're going to go off of just what they see. So you have to be able to, you have to ask them, is there anything, that they, anything more they need? And if they have an objection or a concern, you have to be able to address it and address it quickly. Right. And I think that really brings up a key point, which is that don't just send your, throw, sorry, th- use an old-fashioned expression, throw your proposals over the transom. <laughs> is if you're going to send a quote to a customer or proposal, get them on the phone, get them on Skype, or go to a meeting or Zoom or something, and review it with them. You know, make sure that you don't leave them there thinking that, you know, oh, they'll get back to me if they have questions. When you send the proposal, make sure you have time set up to walk them through it so they understand why you proposed what you did, how it meets their objectives, and then ask the question you said. You know, is there anything left that I haven't addressed? Mm-hmm. All right. So... Now we get to the last segment of the show time. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is a hypothetical scenario. And in this scenario, you, Tom, have just been hired as VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out and flatlined. And the CEO is anxious to get things unstuck. And I know a turnaround needs to start somewhere. So what two steps would you take your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? So I think if I came in as sales manager, the first thing I would want to know, the first step would be to get to know the people on my sales team. So maybe I have to get them off site. Maybe we have to go bowling. Maybe one-on-one we go out for lunch. But I have to know sort of what is their motivation. Do they like where they are? Do, 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 they, do they have enthusiasm for the job? Do we have the right people on the bus? Because sales can stall out and you still have great people. Or sales stall out because the people just aren't enthusiastic and they're not there. And, and if they're not the right people, then you're going to have to make some changes down the road. So the first thing would be to get a real sort of the pulse of what's going on with the sales team. But the second thing would be if, if you've got the right people on the bus and they've stalled out. I, I'm a real big believer that, that you've got to change the way things are done. You've got to fire them up a little bit. So maybe you've got to have a little bit of motivation. Maybe you bring in some sort of a speaker who's going to talk to them. Now, I get a lot of pushback in my world because I'm a speaker. People say, oh, well, motivation doesn't work. And I love to quote the famous and legendary Zig Ziglar. He said, you know, motivation is like bathing. You know, we recommend you do it every day. And so, you know, if people aren't motivated, if things have stalled out, you need to find ways to get them excited and get them get them pumped up. And yes, bringing in a motivational speaker for an hour isn't going to do anything. But if you change the culture of your team to where people are talking about the issues, they're they're setting really realistic goals that they can go after, and you're firing them up in a way and letting them know that they have the power to go out and do that. And then you have to reinforce that. You have to, like bathing, you have to bathe every day. You have to have your motivation on a regular basis. But I think that if you get people fired up you, and they want to be there and they love what they're doing, all of a sudden, you're going to see the results coming. 
Okay, great answer. All right, some rapid fire questions. So you can give me one word answers or elaborate if you choose. So when you, Tom, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Wow, I think it is, uh, I, I don't even know. That's a, horrible, that's a horrible one to pass on, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's that I really care that an event is great. I really, really care. Yeah, I, 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 think, you're, I think your service orientation is, is a strong point. Yeah, you stumped me there. Sorry. All right, no problem. So, uh, yeah, so you're behind on the, the grand prize. So who's your sales role model? Uh, you know, I was a big fan of Tom Hopkins when I was young. Mm -hmm. I haven't followed his stuff in, in probably a decade, but when I was a young, I was a real disciple of him and of Harvey McKay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, Tom is great. I had him on the show not that long ago and, and uh, yeah, still dynamic. Um, let's see. So other than any of your vast library books that you've written, what's one book you recommend every salesperson read? So I'm going to go old school on you. I'm going to go back to, you know, the, the late 80s, and I'm going to say everybody still needs to go and read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. Great book. Great book. And a uh, book written by a son also. I'd add to that too, The uh, Speed of Trust. So, okay. Um, last question for you. This is a toughie. So what music's on your playlist these days? <laughs> so I used to whenever anybody would ask me about music I would always say that my favorite band is the Beach Boys which just embarrassed the crap out of my wife because she hates the Beach Boys but I she grew up in hates Southern the Beach Boys I know can you believe she doesn't like country music either and we live in Texas where's she from she's from Northern California but how can you hate the Beach Boys I, she doesn't love the Beach Boys where they came through in a concert and, and I said let's go and she said I've been and I said in 1992 and she's like, that was enough. So, so I, I would say that uh, I just have this weird. I, I was, I grew up in the '80s when they made their original comeback, and mm -hmm. they they played all over Southern California. And so, you know, in '81 and '82, when they were sort of re coming back on the scene, I was in the neighborhood, you know, of the area of where they played a lot. So I got sort of that was my first concert and all that. Uh, so I like the Beach Boys. And then the other thing on my playlist is the soundtrack to Hamilton because I have a 14 year old daughter who is an actress, and she is absolutely enamored Obsessed. with every. Yes to do with the musical Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, becoming an increasingly frequent answer on the show is the soundtrack to Hamilton. Well, have you had a chance to go see it? Uh, I wish. No, I haven't been in New York uh, in about a year, but uh, I will go as soon as I get a chance to be in New York. I think a surprise 15th birthday present for your daughter so, is in order. So we have a deal with the kids when they turn 13, they do a trip anywhere in the U.S. with mom. When they turn 16... They do it with me, and she's a little over a year from turning 16, and, and she's planning a trip to New York, so we can do that. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, Tom, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank tell, you. Tell people how they can find out more about you. Uh, I'm easy. It's TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. All right. Well, thank you again. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine. Listen in on the commute, in the gym, or make a party morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Tom Singer, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. 
For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.